Ken, welcome back to Summerfolk. It is always a huge pleasure to be here, and I'm so happy to be here once again. How many summer folks is this for you? I have no idea. A lot. I, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. I, I, I would have to get some someone to do some serious research and, and digging. Perhaps you could do that, and and uh, you know that would be great. But I know I was at the first two. I know I was at uh, one at least uh, 1979, and then uh, you know uh, 82, three. I, I don't know. Uh, it, you know so that. My memory for the dates is, I know I was here six years ago, in 2010. Uh, that was a lot, so it hasn't been as, as frequent as it was in the earlier years, but, but it's, it's full of a lot of memories for me. I come to Summerfolk and I see places and I think of people that I've, that I've known and played with, and, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot of history over 40 years. Have any of those memories jumped out particularly strongly this time? Well, I always think of my old friend Jackie Washington, and, and, and of course there was the famous incident where, where Don Bird had the idea to, that to start the finale with wheeling Jackie out on, on, this, uh, on the drum riser. And, and they, you know, the, the stage crew here has always been fantastic and really on the case, so, and used to trying to do things quickly and expeditiously. So Jack, for the, for the last act, was playing. Jack was sitting on this little chair, a folding chair, much like I'm sitting on right now. And, and Jack has some serious girth. And, you, and as some people may not know, he, because of his diabetes, he had, had one leg amputated and, you know, a whole bunch of different physical challenges. But anyway, so they, they wheel this drum riser out very quickly out and he starts singing Sentimental Journey and then the chair collapses under him and he tumbles over onto his side. It was very dramatic, like, because he's like ready to go with this huge big grin and then, but, but lots of good memories, you know, uh, Jackie and, and a young Chris Teeley. T Chris Teeley's a sort of, you know, mandolin god, you know, he's an incredible musician. Now he's, He's got to be 30, early 30s or something. But at the time, he was a teenager and an amazing musician even then. You know, seeing, you know, this guy in his mid-80s jamming away with Chris Teeley, this monster musician, and, and being right there and all these, you know, folks. I, I, there's just, you know, more memories than I could, I could. I could go on and on and on. I have so many memories of here. You've touched a little bit on the intergenerational aspect of this festival, is that true of all festivals around? Or do you see that generally in the music scene in Ontario? I would say that the intergenerational aspect is, is really important because what makes folk music folk music is that whole idea of passing it on. So whether you're writing songs or whether you're singing or playing music or dances or whatever from a particular tradition, you're part of a... Of, you're part of, you're bringing forward what you've learned from the people who've gone before you and you want to share it with audiences and with other musicians. So I would say that that's really key to what makes a folk festival different than say a pop festival or whatever where it's just about me, me, me and you know you, you go on, you do your set, you try and blow everyone away and then get off and get out of there, you know, cash your check. You know, this is, this is about community and it's about that sense of continuity in, in various ways. So it's, it's wonderful to have, you know, younger performers, you know, we were, I was just on stage with, you know, with the au pairs, you know, in their 20s, you know, Coco Love Alcorn, she's in her 30s, you know, P 
people in their 40s. You know, the band I play with, the Beulah Band, there's, you know, a ra- range of ages. And, and um, you know, and, and then Bobby Dean Blackburn, who's older than I am. So it's, uh, you know, to me, that that's really a, a wonderful opportunity to make some kind of magic happen and to really participate in this in this sharing and this passing it on and 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 really establishing something that will outlast ourselves you're talking about legacy there and you've certainly lent your hand not only to uh, your own musical career but also as a producer to the musical careers of a number of other people what energizes you through that kind of production and mentoring process well i love producing records i've always loved the whole idea of recording and for, so for me that's always been a something that's been very attractive we got a when my brother and i were teenagers we had a, a tape machine that could do what was called sound on sound which means it had a sync head so you could record yourself and then record again so the my brother and i would play two things and sing and then we'd play two more things and add them to the you know to the tapes so back in the 60s you know before multi-tracks and computers and all that sort of stuff became household items where you you know now anybody potentially has the ability to to record themselves and all that so I've always been fascinated by recording and I love um, I love the fact that it it uses different parts of of the of the brain than than just uh, performing performing is very visceral whereas as a producer you're you're helping an artist both articulate, formulate, and, and, and be clear about what their artistic goals are, and then how do we realize that? And, and within the constraints of budget and, and time and all that sort of stuff. And, and so then the recording process itself is one which requires, you know, as well as musical skills and abilities, you have to be something of a psychologist because you're trying to get those performances. And for some people, that means, how do I get this person to relax into this situation so they open up and really... For other people, they're too laid back. You want to say, how do we get this person charged up? How do we get them a little, just enough on edge that they're going to you know, really rise to the occasion? And, and, you know, so there's lots of different aspects to it that I, that I love. And, and you know, so I've learned a lot about science, a lot about people... It's, it's it's so recording and producing is, is really fun and of course as you mentioned it puts me in relationships with close you know for the time we're working on the record it's very intense and and I'm always learning new things from those people and from what what they want to do so so I get to share you know and do some guidance but at the same time I'm, I'm I have to be open as well and that's key and that's I always want to try and do that I always want to be creative and and open to new ideas if you were going to recommend one up-and-coming band for us to check out on this show who would you recommend well i just finished producing an album with the woman who was here at summer folk last year joanna chapman smith who is very creative and uh, she it's a whole big long story thing that you know one song beautiful as it will be will not do justice to the to the uh, depth of her vision there, but uh, if, if you could get an advanced track from, from Joanna's album, that would be great. Um, I mean, I, there's so many people, uh, I, and it, right now, I mean, I'm working with Fred Penner, who I did four albums with, uh, you know, a number of years ago, and he was just doing his re- recordings in Winnipeg for many years, and, 
and so it's really fun to work with Fred again. Fred's a wonderful singer and songwriter, and I remember being here at Summer Folk with Fred, and, um, you know, I'm working with a woman named Kim Doolittle, who's a great singer. She lives down near Port Hope, but she's originally from uh, Nova Scotia. Um, you know, there's uh, there's lots of people. I think of Eve Gold, my friend Eve Goldberg, who's a great uh, singer who I've done a bunch of projects with. So lots of things. We were talking about the folk scene happening at festivals. Where else is it happening now? I've been led to believe that there was a time when the vibrancy of the scene was to be found in small clubs all around. Is that still where we find new music and people who are doing this work? Well, well, there's what what there are, which is which is great. Is there's a lot of folk societies who put on folk concerts in different places, which is great. Small theaters, and and another thing that I think is a wonderful development is the whole. Uh, development of the house concert series and it's always great to play to a full house and and it and if if your audience size is 25 people but that makes a full house you can have a very magical special time in 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 those kinds of situations so this it's changed from when there were folk clubs all over the place and and it doesn't have the hipness factors like there used to be one on every college campus would have a folk club that that's no longer the case even though I'm sure that there are closet guitar players strumming away and writing songs on every college campus you still you see that so it's so widespread really it's really ingrained in the Canadian culture and the, and the Canadian fabric is that whole thing of you know someone sitting down with an acoustic guitar and writing songs and some of those people aspire to pop stardom and some don't aspire to play beyond their uh, bedroom and most people are somewhere in between and uh, so this, but there's an amazing amount of creativity out there. Are there hot spots for that kind of creativity across the country? Well, there's a lot of places where things happen. Um, you know, we're lucky in in southern Ontario where there's there's a there's enough critical mass that that I find that when you're in a place like I love living in Toronto because. There is such a cross-pollination, and people come there from other parts of the country, from other parts of the world. And so I've been influenced by uh, people of uh, Caribbean background and people, you know, Americans, Canadians, Europeans, you know, Africans. There's, you know, it's just, a, it's, that to me is really exciting. And, and there and so many great songwriters and guitar players and instrumentalists, you know, and you see all these kids who can, you know, pl- learn, come up through bluegrass and new acoustic music and they can just play, you know, uh, they're very musically sophisticated and yet they really want to get to the essence of music. And so there's just, you know, that is, is very exciting for me. I mean, I was just down in, 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 Nova Scotia, and, and certainly there's a lot of musical talent there, but there's, there is all over. You know, you go all over this country, and it's, it's pretty great, really. You know, I, I did a house concert in Saskatchewan, Forget Saskatchewan, but for you and I who speak English, you'd read it as Forget Saskatchewan, and it's a town of, you know, uh, you know 50 people, and we had whatever, 25 people or whatever at our house concert, but it was a rip-roaring place, and there was at least you know, eight or nine other musicians in that, in that room. And, and uh, so, 
you find it you find it in the big cities, but you even find it in the little tiny hamlets too. You were talking about being influenced by people from different musical traditions. Your own career has jumped from one genre to the next. How important are genres when we have such so much cross pollination and when it's so easy to share music from so far around the world? Well, I think you learn a lot from people who really have 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 a close connection to a particular culture. And there's things that you learn by a kind of osmosis where you're, you know, like like a certain guitar strum or whatever that, you know, whether it's Spanish music or whatever, you know, that that people from that culture have that and someone who's not from that culture really has to spend a lot enough time with it listening and trying it to really get get that the feel of it because it's not just a matter of knowing okay you don't just play on the downbeat but you're playing on a on a like a, it's like an eighth after the downbeat you know in, in a calypso rhythm instead of going banga danga danga you're going badada 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 you know and and to learn that like i there was a uh, jamaican percussionist named dick smith who who taught me how to do that and, and i had to practice that for two years i remember being in grenada and they wanted me to do it and i had been introduced to the concept. I knew what they were trying to wanted me to do. I hadn't quite mastered it yet, you know. And this was like uh, 35 years ago. But but again, just trying it, being there, you know, be, playing with steel pan players and having to come up with it, you know. And it, you learn you so you learn things from from that that you wouldn't learn in in another way because it's not it, you know just knowing it intellectually is not is not enough. And uh, but at the same time, as I was saying, seeing the crossbreeding, you know, bringing that, bringing, you know, playing R&B, you know, and, and singing with African-Canadian musicians who, who've grown up in that culture, or gospel music, you know, with people who've grown up in that culture, or, or playing the blues. I mean, I, I learned so much from a guy named Blind John Davis. John Davis was the house piano player for Bluebird Records, which was the race label for RCA in the late 30s and 40s in Chicago. He played here at Summer Folk. And we played with him, uh, you know, many years ago. And, uh, you know, and John has lived the blues. He's lived that music. He's created it. And, you know, just, you know, when he would turn to you to go for it, you know, you, would, you, you learn things that you couldn't learn in a book or just learning it from the records. That's making me think a lot about learning a language and trying to learn a language where if you don't know the vowel sounds, then you can't hear the vowel sounds until you spend enough time to really be able to train your ear to hear things that you weren't born with. Yeah, yeah, and, and of course we all have certain uh, gifts, I guess I would say. I, I feel lucky that I have the musical gifts. I'm, I'm actually terrible at learning vocabulary in other languages, but, uh, but I can hear music, I can hear harmonic changes and rhythmic changes and melodic content, you know, so I, and I've, and of course I've been practicing that my whole life too, so that helps. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. You're, you're so welcome, John, my pleasure. It's always great to be here at Summerfolk. Great to be here.